The Coaching You Podcast is presented by Huddle Basketball and Huddle Assist, your best solution to capture and analyze every aspect of the game from the first tip to the final buzzer. Hey, welcome to another Coaching You Podcast presented by Huddle and Huddle Assist with the coach Brendan Sir. Our guest today, Fran O'Hanlon. Fran is a consummate basketball he was a great player at Villanova, had traveled the world playing, coaching internationally, came back to his hometown of Philadelphia, got into coaching, worked for some of the great greats of, of coaching, and now for 26 years has been the head coach of Lafayette College in eastern Pennsylvania. I think you're really going to enjoy this. It's a tour. It's, it's like a full menu for you today. And as a basketball, I want you to have fun Sit back and really enjoy. We'll be back after this quick timeout. The best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever. That's why coaches love Huddle Assist. With Assist, you get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. And Assist is more than just a box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats like the line, like lineup data, VPS, and of course, effective field goal percentage to coach smarter. Plus, assist brings your stats to life. Every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com slash assist. That's H-U-D-L dot com slash assist to learn more. MindView is an amazing, amazing company that literally is just releasing a platform. They have developed an incredible assessment that we have just totally, totally been blown away with because on this assessment that you can take in a matter of 15 minutes or so, 20 minutes on your phone, the things that you've never been able to measure before, like resilience, grit, hope, adaptability, all these things, they are able to measure them as to how you're thinking and feeling right now. This is a game changer as far as I'm concerned. I'm a strength finder guy. I love all that. But MindView is the latest technology. It is just literally coming on the market right now. The platform that they've created is second to none. The emphasis right now on your player's mental wellness is unprecedented. I'm sold on MindView. Now it's your turn. For more information about MindView, M-I-N-D-V-U-E, please contact the COO, Cleet McQuinn. His email is cmcquinn at mindview.com or visit their website at mindview.com. Today, our podcast is with Fran O'Hanlon. Fran O'Hanlon is the head coach of Lafayette College and only been there a few years going on. Tw- we're in 25th season. Is that correct, Fran? Actually, it's 26, but 26? he's counting there. Oh, my right? Lord. You know? How great is that? There's only, I think, in what a, in my research looking, there's only three people that have been at the same school like this long. Uh, yourself, Coach K, right? And and and, right. and Bayheim is like 57 years, <laughs> including how many well, years he you played. You know, it's, it's, with Jim Bayheim, it's funny because I played in the Eastern League with Jim Bayheim for two games and at the end of the two games Jim Beheim said to me 
hey, Fran, you know, I'm not, I'm going to just concentrate on college coaching and I'm uh, going to stay at, uh, and, and, and I'm thinking, you're going to give this up for coaching there, Jim? What kind of decision is that? <laughs> and uh, obviously he made a pretty good decision on that. Uh, you know, as we look back on it, you know. People don't realize uh, Beheim was a very good player. And, uh, his oh, he back, was. And his backcourt partner at Syracuse yeah. was who? The great Dave well, Bing. Right? Well, I know uh, Dave Bing in the, in Syracuse. In the Eastern League when he was there, it was Willie Somerset. Oh, my God. Know? From Duquesne, yeah. right? So, From Duquesne, yeah. So uh, when I wow. first got there, Willie Somerset and Jim Bay, I went to backcourt. And uh, he was giving up this Eastern League for to stay in coaching. Well, you know, uh, let's, he made let's a few more dollars. I, I think we were getting $100 s- a game then. I, the, I was uh, just going to ask the, you how much you made. 100 bucks. Okay. Yeah, better than I thought it might have well, been. Well, we we were we were owed a hundred bucks. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Uh, you know, I've been I've been uh, whether it's uh, in the Eastern League or uh, been in Europe playing, and people say, "Hey, they I'm supposed to get X amount of money." I'm thinking, yeah, what they tell you and what they give you could be two different things. Uh, you know. So, friend, when you know the kids that you have now that you're coaching, and I always think. That, I always ask this to did they did they have any idea how good a player you were? Um no, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean I tell them, hey listen, I never missed a shot and never made a mistake, but <laughs> I said if you start believing old people, older guys, you know, how good they were, you know, then you're you're I'll sell you uh, you know, uh, the Brooklyn Bridge, uh because uh, everybody lies about how good they once were and um so I, I don't I don't tell them. Uh I I had a film one time, Brendan, of uh, uh I was playing Bonaventure and as I think I told you earlier, they were second in the country. Yeah. And uh I was going out of bounds and one of my players was watching it and I somebody just sent it to me and they said and I threw the ball, saved the ball out of bounds right under my own basket. And he said, Yo coach, you told us not to save the ball <laughs> under your own basket. I said, Well, don't do as I <laughs> do, do as I say. Um, but talk about uh, you went to Villanova, and Villanova now uh, put a few bucks into the program uh, and everything. Uh, it's everything's different, but the success you had back then was equal. Talk about Jack Kraft, a legendary Hall of Fame kind of coach, I think, and one person that I like tried to study when I started to get into coaching? Well, the thing that, he, uh, first of all, uh, Coach Kraft, and I say this, he was number one, a gentleman, you know, just uh, treated you with respect. Uh, wasn't a yeller or screamer. So that's what I took away, you know, initially from Coach Kraft, that he that he treated you like young men. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other part of that, he was known for his ball defense, the, uh, yep. the matchup zone that we played all the time. And we spent so much time on that. Um, uh, I was fortunate, you know, my sophomore year, uh, before I started, you know, my sophomore, because we couldn't play as freshmen, all preseason, they worked on the, uh, the, the first team worked on the zone um, slides and all, probably for two hours. And, and I got to play offense. And later on, I got to start. So I, they were working on offense by that time. And the next two years, I was on offense, and he concentrated more on the offense than the defense. So I got to play a lot of offense. Uh, 
probably hurt me in the long run, but uh, it was it was fun for practice. And but as I said, he, you know, we won a lot of games. We uh, my uh, junior year, we uh, we lost to uh, actually Lefty Drussell in the uh, in the Eastern uh, Regionals. Uh, in the following year, we went to the Elite Eight. It wasn't called the Elite Eight at the, that time, but you know, it's amazing how has it has changed, Brendan. As you know, Final Four, Final Elite Eight. I mean the fanfare and the and the money is it's it has just gone through the roof. Uh, but it it wasn't any less uh, trying hard to win, and and it was it was great to get to that far, and we had a lot of success. And I think Coach Kraft had 12 years that he went to a postseason in a row. Uh, Villanova's had a great great tradition, as you know, and and Jay has certainly built on that for sure. Sure. Now t- talk uh, to our listeners because we have people not just high school, college coaches, we have NBA coaches, plus in over 100 countries, coaches are listening. Talk about what ball defense was, because I think that's really interesting. Well, you know, the ball, the one one person on the ball, you had a point to the ball. It was, you know, it was a matchup zone. You they had a lot of different principles within it. There was a lot of, um, there was a lot of work that went into it, you know, um, and 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 somebody explained it as, or described it as kind of like a rubber band. It would bend and it wouldn't break. And you know, one guy's out, the other guys are are pointing and talking. And uh, you know, it was a terrific zone, and it was very hard to get shots against it. Um, obviously, you know, with the th- we didn't have a three point line at that time. Sure. Um, so it may have may have changed things. Who knows? Uh, certainly, a three point line has changed things in in the game. But you know, teams at that time used to be inside out, and we did a great job of matching up and and making it real hard for teams to to score the basketball. And I think we were one of the top uh, defensive teams in the country for a number of years uh, with the ball defense. You know when. Um... You know, when I, I look back, I, I, somehow I remembered, and I don't know if I saw Coach Kraft at a clinic, did it start, somehow I'm, I, I've got this mindset, it started in a 3-2 alignment. Was that correct? Yes, it did. It yeah. started at 1-2-2 two, two, pretty right. much. One, two, two. It started at 1-2-2 two, two alignment. Um, but if you were a wing and there was no one in your zone, you would not guard an empty zone, so you would drop, you know. Uh, but it did start in a 1-2-2, two, two, and he tried to keep the, the point man in the center of the court pretty much. Uh, you had to have uh, – two big guys that that could be mobile and cover the corner because they were covering the back of the two guys would cover the back of the zone, uh, and also the foul line. Um, so, so there was, it was very structured, but it was also, and you, you know, you needed good communication to play that zone. That's one of the things, uh, somebody had asked me cause we, we played the matchup for a while years ago and, with kids nowadays, uh, they don't they don't communicate as as well. They're they're very good players, and I often say I should start the matchup and they should bring their phones so they could text each other instead of uh, you know since they don't want to talk to each other. That's great. Um, so. I love that. I, I I love that, and you know that's what we saw. We noticed at pregame meals that the players that would text the guy that was sitting right next to him to pass the potatoes, you know, or something. Yeah, well, I, I won't let them bring their phone. In fact, I had a conversation today about the guys. Why do we not have phones at the dinner table? Because 
if you let them to their own devices, as soon as they sit down, they, they want to talk to somebody that's not there. Let's talk to the people that are here, and, and then we'll worry about the people that aren't here later on when we leave here. Uh, you know, otherwise, we might as well have a pregame meal just in individual phone booths uh, or a dinner booths if we're not going to talk to each other. And honestly, I said, I don't care what you talk to. Talk to, them about, talk to them about anything, but talk to each other. Yeah. By your senior year, you ended up playing in the finals, correct, of the NCAA? Yeah, well, we played in, in the finals of the East. Uh, the, okay. When they got rid of me, Brendan, uh, and they brought in Tommy Inglesby the following year, that was the only chance <laughs> That's the that they changed. They went to, to the final two, and they lost to UCLA I, I, in the final game. Uh, wow. But, yeah, we had, I mean, that, that team is my senior year and junior year, and we were, we were in the top ten both of those years in the country. Um and uh, it was great times. Johnny Jones, uh, Howard Porter, Chris Ford, you know, uh, um, Sammy Sims, Hank Simitowski. It was some really good players uh, in our program. Hey, talk about uh, you know. So as a, a, a college senior, you know, you get you get drafted in the pros. Experience. Tell me that experience of a you know being a kid from the Catholic league. Right. And then to get drafted sure. in the pros and stuff like that. And then, well, go play. you know, I, I think coming out, you know, and I grew up in West Philly. I, it's funny, you know, uh, every day when I was in the first grade, Will Chamberlain walked by our school, we'd all run to the fence and who is this tall guy? I mean, I came from a, uh, an area, uh, Wally Jones was in wow. my neighborhood and, and Walt Hazard. I mean, Overbrook High School, I'm sure, you, sure. you've heard of it. And that was, that I used to go there at night and, and sneak in the gym. And so it was a real basketball area. Um, and I went to, to St. Tommy Moore, uh, which was the kind of the rival of Overbrook, uh, and was on the all Catholic team. We won the championship in Philly that year. Uh, I had some very good players on my team. Uh, and, uh, I had a, got a scholarship, I had a number of scholarships. Uh, uh, I remember Jim Maloney, who I later yeah. on coached his son yep. at Penn, but it, he was at Niagara and the Vincentian fathers were, um, were also at Niagara and at Tommy Moore. And after he would leave recruiting me, uh, Father Fogarty would beat me up and say, "You going to Niagara?" And I'd always keep Father, I'd always keep Niagara in the final three. I'm thinking of Niagara and St. Joe and Bill, Niagara and Virginia and 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 everybody said because I didn't want to say I wasn't going to Niagara uh, too soon because I would really get beat up uh, by Father Fogarty. Um, so finally I decided on, on going to, uh, uh you know, uh, Villanova, which I always wanted, you know, growing up in, uh, in the city, there was no trees around and I, I wasn't going to go too far, but at least I had trees and flowers and, and things like that at Villanova. So, uh, and they also wear a high black Converse. who was, you know, uh, which at the time I thought that's really cool. You know, high black Converse. uh, you know, I was 17 years old. I wasn't the smartest kid in the it was like a pair of LeBrons back then, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and two weeks after I was there, I liked high white sneakers uh, better than I liked high black. But <laughs> I already made the decision. <laughs> you know, you talked about Jim Maloney, who was a great coach, and uh, ironically became uh, our friend, you know, John Cheney's assistant for years uh, at Temple. Oh, yeah. And, uh, well, yeah, I had a job one time. I was telling somebody uh, – uh, we used to play three on three. Uh, I'll tell you later if you want the, my famous John Cheney story I would um, love that. of him 
calling a timeout in a three-on-three game. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Jimmy Maloney, I got to I got to see Jimmy uh, every day when I was the women's assistant because something happened with my contract and I had to come back in October. And for the one, well, six months, I was an assistant coach with the women at, at Temple University. That's great. So uh, Jim Maloney, I see him. I don't know if it was at Final Four summer league or something. I just I had coached 15 years in the NBA, and I was now going to take over a CBA team in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. And he came up to me and said, I, I need you to do me a favor. I said, sure, coach, what do you need? I need you to take draft my son and coach my son and teach him how to be a point guard. I said, right. you just finished playing a pen, right? And I said, you know, Sure, you know, I, you know, sure, uh, you know, I don't even know. I've my first draft. I don't know what the heck we're even doing, and uh, Jim passes away, going over the bridge, you know, that summer, right? You know, I'm sure. And uh, so, so all of a sudden, you know, here in September, we're doing the CBA draft, and I'm the head coach. I'm not the general manager, and uh, we have ten rounds, and in the second round, I said uh, I'm picking Matt Maloney. And they said, oh, no, no, right. no, he's way too high. I said, we're picking Matt Maloney. And we picked Matt Maloney, and he started for me every game. And I had two NBA guards as my as his backup. <laughs> and well, the, Actually, he played, in, as we know, he played in the pros for yep. five years or and so. It, yep, and then uh, uh, we got him got called up to the Houston Rockets, and he started, yeah. you know, three years' worth of games with Barkley and Elijah Wan. And it was one of the happiest things I've ever done. But uh, Jim was a special guy and uh, a hell of a coach, yes, too. Yes, he was. Uh, but we... Great. He, he loved the game. Jim loved the game. Loved to talk X and O's. And uh, he, he was terrific. He so, certainly was. So let me ask you this. So when you're, you're loved, uh, you go down to Miami, uh, what was the ABA like then? It was wild. <laughs> it was. You had the red, white, and blue ball. You had. We were the first team that had the uh, that had like the dancers. We had the bikini-clad uh, ball girls at Miami, um, and um, you know you had uh, you know Dr. J came into the league and Rick Barry and Dan. So I had some very good players. I was with Mac Calvin, if you know, if you remember Mac and uh, Larry Jones. Yep. Um, they were in front of us, and they were leading the league in scoring. So uh, I, I didn't get a lot of time. I was like the designated fouler, you know, when they at the end of quarters where they would say, "Go in there and take a foul," because you only got one foul shot yep. at the time. Yep. I'd, I'd come out of the game. Uh, I'd play about a minute and have four fouls. I was like <laughs> Jungle Jim Luskatov. Uh, and you better foul, otherwise you'd be in trouble. Uh, better get the foul. So you you go also and play overseas uh, for years and and it's not like it is today. What was it like going overseas to play? Yeah, I played for a, a coach, Jim McGregor. I don't know if you oh, remember yeah. Jim McGregor. And wow, he, he was the first one that brought uh, Americans over, and he would sell them. You know, uh, yeah. we play with. I play with some great players, and me and a, a, a my one of my best friends, Kenny Grant. A lot of times he would put us in charge because Jim would also have a job coaching in Italy. So we would run the tour. We play every day. We may go from Germany to Italy in one day uh, back to France because he never wanted a day off because, uh, you know, it cost him money. Usually he would have um, uh, the team pick up the tap for the hotel and, and, and the meals. So we played every day. Obviously, we were playing in front of foreign um 
you know, with foreign referees and, that lived in that town. So we didn't get a lot of home. We didn't get a lot of calls. Um, but we play with, you know, Wingo Hawthorne, for example, was on our team. Uh, I mean, there were so many extra pros, uh, you know, Stretch Howard, uh, probably guys, you know, I could go on and on. There's probably hundreds of people. Uh, and we toured, uh, played, a, we played different national, we may play the Russian national team, wow. uh, one day, the Yugoslavian national team next day. And then we may play a team from Penn Fruit, you know, or the, the, the grocery, anybody just, because you wanted to fill a game uh, and uh, played a great schedule. Um, and it, it was, it was so much fun. Uh, guys would get jobs and we'd, somebody else would come on the tour. So it was kind of, it was a big turnover at times. Um, but I got to see the world. I traveled around the world a couple of times. We would go to, whether it was in Europe or the uh, Philippines or Australia or, or, uh, Taiwan, uh, Japan. I mean, we we just traveled, and uh, he gave us a great opportunity. Uh, we're trying to get him actually. There's um, a contingent of us that are trying to get him in the Hall of Fame. He's going to be in the Italian Hall of Fame, Jim McGregor. Um, Makes, uh, we, makes sense. And he would have different sponsors. Uh, you know, uh, Brendan, he would have one Pepsi Cola or Gillette. We, and it was a hippie era, so everybody had beards and uh, and long hair, and we were sponsored by Gillette for a couple months and Gillette didn't like that a whole lot. I can tell you that, you know, uh, <laughs> they'd always give, leave us toiletries and, and people wouldn't use them. Uh, uh, but it was, it was a great experience to, to do that. And, uh, uh, and then, you know, you got a spinoff. I got a job in, in, uh, Sweden, uh, for six years playing there. Um, I coached in Israel. I coached in Venezuela with the, in the pro league. So, so I, I thought I was only go go over for a year or two, and I ended up about twelve years overseas. Wow, uh, marching around. Well, yeah. uh, Kenny Grant, uh, you know, is a dear friend, uh, you know, for, and uh, and he made a living yeah, as an his, agent. And his brother just uh, passed away um, oh, a couple of days ago. Kelly Grant was uh, oh wow huge in Swedish basketball. Yeah, yeah Kelly was tremendous, uh, young, sixty three, and. Uh, and uh, did so much for Swedish basketball. Oh. So I um, miss him greatly. But, yeah, Kenny's one of my best friends. Oh, he's, he's fabulous. Uh, we're going to take a quick timeout, and we'll be back with Fran O'Hanlon. Prepare like the pros with the new FastDraw. FastDraw is the number one affordable coaching tool used by pro and high school level teams worldwide. With FastDraw, you can save your plays and playbooks digitally, attach video, and share with other coaches and your players in seconds. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching content and resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 8,000 free plays and drills from their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. Don't forget to use promo code CU10, that is CU10, to receive 10% off your next fast model purchase. Back with Fran O'Hanlon. Uh, Fran, you know, we talked about John Cheney who passed uh, recently and uh, just and someone that uh, had a profound influence upon me uh, because I got to coach many of his players, uh, you know, my relationship with Jim Maloney and also, you know, my relationship with John Thompson, who was one of his best friends, uh, but talk about John Cheney, who is literally an institution in Philly. 
Sure. Well, growing up in Philly, as you know, I mean, they used to talk about Philly point guards and people wanted Philly point guards. And when I was young, I used to watch a lot of these guys, whether it's Sonny Hill or Guy Rogers or John Chaney, and he played for the Philadelphia Colts. And he was he was a man, you know, he just was so tough. And I had the uh, great pleasure of knowing him. uh, And and then I got a job as the assistant women's coach at Temple. And uh, I got to see his practices uh, every, just about every day and watch him work, uh, which was awesome. But at the end of the season, we played, we, and he was so competitive, as you know. He had to win. Uh, and I, I can't say that I wasn't, wasn't somebody that liked to lose either. So we were playing at the end of the season, three-on-three three, uh, pickup. He had a couple of his friends. Uh, Jim Maloney would play, Dean Demopoulos, myself. And we're playing a game one day. It was right before I was leaving to go back to Europe. Um, and one of his friends gets trapped in the corner. It's game point. And John calls. He says, time out as I steal the ball on game point. I said, and I keep dribbling. He said, I call a timeout. I said, hey, you can't call. I said, you're kidding, right? You can't call a timeout in the three on three game. And John in no, in, in the colorful language that he, yes. he says, it's my court and I can call a timeout if I want to call a timeout. I said, well, John, you're not going to be able to call a timeout here. I don't care whose court it is. As I said, the language is a little bit different. Now we're arguing, and they're trying to stop us from arguing. And everybody is stopping, and students are walking by, and Jim Maloney's trying to, hey, can we calm down and finish this game? I don't think we finished the game, and I leave shortly after that. I go back to Europe, and I, as I said, John's a friend of mine. And I go back about seven, eight months later, and I see his secretary, I said, Davis, I said, uh, I see his coaching. He said, yes. And I, as soon as I peek around the corner, he says, time the F out. <laughs> I said, you still can't get a time out there, John. You know, um, that's great. But he, he was, a, he was a special human being and I uh, loved him dearly. And, uh, he did so much for so many people. Um, and, and we're going to miss him, miss yes. him greatly. That's uh, quite a legacy. You know, your friend, Fran Dumphy, uh, who ironically now replaces him at Temple as the head coach, you know, goes from an incredible, iconic program at Penn to Temple, which a lot of us in basketball that did not know Philly Connection said, how could the guy do that? And he goes there and does really well. I got to coach against him several times. Absolutely love the guy. And now retires puts one of his players, Aaron McKee, in as the coach. And then during this time when they're AD leaves, he becomes the interim AD, except interim lasted a little longer than he wants to right now. Uh, Talk about your relationship with Fran, the type of coach he was, what it was like working with him at Penn and the success you guys had at Penn. Well, you know, I I had a a pretty successful career, um, whether overseas in high school, um, and people will ask me many times, you know, how do you get to be a, you know, division one head coach, you know, and, and I say my path was a little different because all, it doesn't matter what I did anywhere else. I grew up with Fran Duff. He was one of my best friends growing up and Duff gave me an opportunity without any experience as, as far as recruiting, um, and hired me at 10, um, gave me, started me, just, uh, Hey, called these people started out. Um, so he gave me the, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for Dump. There's not a better human being, I think, around than Dump. He's, he's terrific, terrific coach. Um, 
you know, obviously we went three years in a row without um, losing a game. Um, to, and then he goes to Temple. And, and I think he wanted the opportunity, you know, um, you know, after he had done as much as he had done at Penn, um, to have an opportunity to coach and have scholarships. And uh, and I know he asked Coach, uh, coach Janey, uh, is it okay if I take this job, you know? Um, and he got – Coach Cheney's blessing, and uh, and he took the job because I, I don't think he would have taken that job without Coach Cheney uh, saying it's okay. Uh, and uh, he was fantastic there as well. I mean, he's just one of the best coaches in the country. It gets the most out of his teams, mm-hmm. um, and and more than anything. And I don't say this; I know it's, it's kind of becomes cliche. As good a coach as he is, he's a better human being. He's just tremendous. He's done so much for helping people along the way and coaches versus cancer. And you can go on and on, uh, the boys' uh, club. And um, he's he's just terrific. And uh, I've been blessed to to be around him and have that opportunity to, to learn from him and, uh, and him to help me get to, to where I am today. And as you know, you don't get anywhere without help. And certainly I needed a lot of help. No, I, hey, we <laughs> all do. We all do. And... You know, and, uh, you know, I think that goes back to that line we, you know, we've said before is that you never get a job with a resume, a a good, I always say, my saying is you never get a good job with a resume. You get it through your relationships and contacts that either I have a friend, you know, someone that knows that guy and you basically give me the okay for that guy to at least talk to me. And, uh, yeah. was that fair? And I always say that bloom bloom where you're planted. Do a good job where you are, and then you'll you'll have a chance to be promoted by your friends. And uh, I tell that to my team and my former coach. Bloom where you're planted. Don't look at at someplace else. You know. Unfortunately, Dump came to me and asked me if I'd be interested. You know, I, I'd been doing pretty well, and um, and as I said, he I don't think he would have hired me if I if he didn't think I was any good. Uh, you know, and uh, hopefully it worked out for him. Uh, I think it did it in the long run. When you decided to become a head coach, why Lafayette? <laughs> That's a <laughs> That's loaded a good question, question <laughs> Brandon. Because you know, as I said before, we were, uh, and I have to tell a story of both myself and and I, I call him Digger Donahue, Stevie Donahue. Um, <laughs> Digger Donahue. And, uh, and we were, we were. Um, and we were undefeated um, for uh, for three straight years, and it wasn't people like knocking down our door. I had one offer, and it was the former. It's funny how your your contacts, and we just talked about it. The associate AD at Temple was Eve Atkinson, who now was the AD at uh, Lafayette. So when we uh, at the end of the year uh, they let go of the coach. And um, she came to me and said, would you be interested in the job? And uh, and obviously I was very interested uh, in the Lafayette job and and uh, and the rest is history. Now I've had opportunities to leave, but they had given me the opportunity. My family loved it in, uh, in, in Easton and they were very well settled. And I, and I had traveled so much, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm not going to move around. I'm not going to be, uh, you know, wander around. I'm going to stay here. Uh, and make this, and hopefully bloom where where I was planted, and and and, and do a good job here. Uh, but I was going to say, 
when I took over the job, it was there were 303 teams in in um, Division One. Now there's 350 or something. Right. But at that time, this they were ranked 303. So I got the <laughs> worst job in Division One. And wow. a couple of years later, after Stevie uh, Stevie Donahue, um got Cornell at the time, which was I think 309 <laughs> out of 309 in Division One. So. It wasn't like we, you know, the the top teams were coming knocking down our door. Uh, and obviously, Stevie did a, a f- awesome job there, and and was promoted. He bloomed where he was planted at Cornell, and and the rest is history for him as well. And um, and Stevie at the time too, when he was our assistant coach with the non-paid uh, assistant, so he worked for about six, seven years. And when Stevie was my assistant high school coach at Bonner, we won in that league that year. He had been the year before he had been at, at Springfield. And uh, I said, listen, why don't you come to the Catholic League, you know, and he took a $2,000 pay cut to come and be my assistant. And then he was working at Textile with Herbie McGee. Yeah. And, um, and uh, he was making, I guess, around $5,000 at that time. And I got, I helped, uh, you know, I said, dump. he'd be great for us. And he got no money there. So he said, you know, Rainbow, every job you get me, I get less money. Uh, when am I going to get more money? Like, knowing you doesn't do me any good here. Uh, so I, uh, I said, I guess you got to wait till I leave until you get a job that's paying you more uh, than you're making right now. You know, you coined, uh, you coined your nickname there, Rainbow. Uh, from you know that you got I I I've, I've been told in the Baker League you know which was right. people don't realize the Baker League was like the Rucker um, it's just you know like Saint Cecilia in Detroit I mean it was a pro league that the the great players would play in in the off season and you'd be playing with NBA guys and stuff like that why did you get the nickname Rainbow Johnson <laughs> <laughs> Well I was uh. I was playing, uh, I mean, and our league was, you know, Earl the Pearl was on my team, Archie, Shake and Big Clark, uh, Earl the Pearl. On my team was uh, Showboat Shannon, Bozo Walker, Pothead Pelzer, uh, Watusi Card. Um, and I was going into the game one time, Reverend Sal Murphy was, and I said, uh, Sal, I said, uh, Reverend Sal, this, this name doesn't seem to fit in this league. Uh, Friend, okay. And uh, he said, he said, you shoot those rainbow jump shots, uh, I'll call you Rainbow. And I said, no, it's got to be Jones or Jackson. He said, Rainbow Johnson. So I was at the scores table, and um, he says, Rainbow Johnson in for Pothead Pelzer. <laughs> and uh, and everybody kind of laughed. At McGonagall Hall, there used to be 2,000 people. Yeah. Uh, so it, everybody laughed. I hit a shot, one of the first shots. He says, Rainbow for two. And that stuck, and then I was Rainbow Johnson from then on, and and it would be put on the paper that R Johnson, and people say, "You're not playing in the Baker League anymore." Oh yeah, I'm playing there. I'm just I'm Rainbow Johnson. My and, alias, uh, yeah. Herb uh, Rogel, who wrote for the Bulletin at the time, did a big article on Rainbow Johnson, and oh, Rainbow cool. Johnson was born. Oh, you know, that is classic. So when you're up at Lafayette, you have no scholarships back then. It was just like the Ivy League, right? right? All right. Right. <laughs> and so I, you were used to recruiting that way. Uh, but your sure. competition, for the most part, were, you know, Ivy-type schools, correct? Right. And now right. you've got to exactly. convince those parents to spend 
250,000, 300,000 to come to Lafayette. Yeah, unless you qualified, you had financial aid that you sure. could deal with. What you wanted to find out, you know, I mean, at that time, if you called somebody with very good grades and they said, yeah, it's a shame, my father's out of work, and you'd think, great, that's awesome. <laughs> You know, he's going to qualify for something. <laughs> but uh, that wasn't always the case, you know. Uh, and so sometimes you had to pay a, a lot of money. When I first went to Penn, uh, the whole thing, and obviously it's a lot of years ago. I, I guess you're looking at 30 years ago. It was something like fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000, the whole package to go to uh, to Penn. Uh, and then they went up to, when it got to 20, I thought, oh, we'll never be able to recruit anybody for $20,000. And now to go to Penn or these schools, it costs uh, seventy two, seventy three thousand dollars uh, It's uh, it's it's hiked uh, quite a bit, you know, since uh, 30 years ago. You know, one, one of the big things at, at Lafayette, when you went there, how many teams were in the league compared to now? Well, there were seven teams in the league, um, and it was interesting, Brendan, because with seven teams and everybody making the playoffs, we tied for first a couple of times, and they had they had coin flips because the first place team would get a bye or uh-huh. or get the home court if they went to the final. So it's like I, n- I never heard of the coin flip for uh, for figuring out who's going to be first, and then the following year when we tied Navy again for first, there were uh it went to the highest rpi so it was very interesting you know um uh, you know trying to figure out uh, the the tie breaking system at that time but no there were seven teams and then later on they brought in american and then uh bu and uh um they all followed and now we have 10 in our league 10 yeah, yeah. and and now when did it go to scholarships full scholarships well, it went to scholarships, uh, and John Feinstein wrote a book, The Last Amateurs, because uh, yep. right before they went scholarships. In 99, 2000, Holy Cross, they they had a thing called permissive policy. They said uh, anybody who wants, because Holy Cross, some teams threatened to leave if they didn't go scholarship, and they didn't want the league to dissolve. So Holy Cross and Lehigh went scholarships at that time. Interesting. Um, about two years later, Bucknell, uh, American came into the league with full continuous scholarships. Bucknell went scholarships, then Colgate went scholarships. So we were the last to, to go scholarship, I think, in 2007 or so. Uh, and I would I would kid John Feinstein. I said, John, you got to write a book, The Last Amateur, because uh, there's, there's no more of us. Uh, and, you know, you're – my personality could only go so far in recruiting people. I, I, I got a scholarship to Bucknell. Why don't you come here and pay fifty thousand dollars, and you can hang out with me, <laughs> Coach? I'll, I'll see you a couple times a year. I, I'll hang out with you, but uh, <laughs> we're, not, we're not paying fifty thousand dollars. Wow. Um, so that was uh, that was interesting at the time. With uh, and I had some great kids. I mean, they worked hard. It was they were all like uh, they they all could play. They just maybe have been an inch or two or a step slower than than uh than the other guys that are on scholarship. But we still had some pretty good success. Uh one year we were fifteen and fifteen with no scholarships in, in the league and uh I thought, you know, as you evaluate your your coach and you think that was one of my better coaching jobs, you know, right. to to win that many games. Uh when you had last pick. Um Right, <laughs> but it's a credit to a lot of those guys I had. Uh, they 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 also had a little bit of a chip on their shoulder that they weren't recruited and they wanted to prove themselves. Um, We're going to take a quick timeout with Fran and be right right back. 
We're thrilled to have our longtime partners and friends at Dr. Dish Basketball on board as sponsors of the Coaching You podcast. Dr. Dish machines are undoubtedly the most user-friendly and advanced machines in the world of basketball today. Dr. Dish has completely revolutionized and reimagined the shooting machine to provide the best solution on the market. Join top programs around the world like Duke, North Carolina, Florida, and countless others and upgrade your shooting machine to Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish machines are the best way to increase purposeful reps in your program to get players better, faster, while tracking progress along the way. Dr. Dish provides so much more than just your standard shooting machines with custom training, pro trainers, and coaches on demand, real-time and detailed analytics, and top-of-the-line drills and workouts. If you're looking to take your program to the next level, look no further than Dr. Dish for the best basketball training machine in the world. If you have an old machine that's just collecting dust in your gym, did you know that you can trade that into Dr. Dish for up to $1,500 off and get a new dish? Make sure to give our friends at Dr. Dish a follow at Dr. Dish B-Ball on Twitter and Instagram for great daily drills, workouts, tips, and inspiration. Or contact us at drdishbasketball.com. Don't forget to mention Coaching You or our podcast for $300 off your purchase. Hi, this is Brendan Sir. I'm talking to coaches, PE teachers, ADs, and camp directors because I'm so excited to announce our newest Coaching You podcast partnership with my friends from 360 Hoops. What if I told you that I've witnessed the most innovative game, training, and exercise for kids that I've seen in decades? 360 Hoops takes up less space than traditional basketball and allows for more players to get involved in developing their basketball fundamentals. The three-sided basket is attached to wheels for easy transportation and can adjust from 7 to 10 feet. The uses are endless, from elementary and middle school recess to physical education class that can also be used for team practice and skill development training for teams with players of all ages. For more information, visit www.play360hoops.com. To learn more about this new innovative product, make sure you mention Coaching You for a 10% discount. Hey, friend, uh, when you're talking about Lafayette basketball now and your, and your philosophy of basketball, you know, you're known by coaches around the country as I, don't, I shouldn't say this word. You're going to laugh at me. But, you know, one of the more cerebral coaches in the game and really have incredible basketball IQ. Uh, how do, how, what's your style of play that you like to play, let's say, from an offensive standpoint? Well, first of all, Brendan, uh, you know, and I tell my guys this, and it probably applies to me as well as anybody, you steal from one and it's plagiarism. You steal from many, and it's research. Uh, I've been, I've been, I've researched this, so I can't take all the credit. I've, I've stolen, or I've, I've researched it from many coaches to come up with a plan that I have, and sometimes my European uh, uh, influence also uh, has helped me in, in this. I, I run a passing game. Uh, a lot of work goes into it, you know, uh, in how to play basketball, and teaching actions, and uh, more than teaching plays. Uh, because I think a lot of times the game is is uh, overcoached and undertaught, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So you try to find people with pretty good basketball IQs to, to, to try to so that they're making good basketball decisions on the court and then teach them the structure, you know, because as I say to them, excellent does have a structure. Um, it's not just running all over the place. I mean, there's a structure to it. Um, and and that's been my philosophy to try to teach them uh, to play the game. Now, I said it doesn't matter also what we run because at the end of the day, the, the thing that's most important is shot selection. Mm-hmm. So whether you run a flex or a passing game, you got to have the right people taking the right shot at the right times. And and that's probably the hardest part of the game, Brendan, is just trying to teach people what's a good shot and what's not a good shot. And, um, and, and our more successful teams have had guys that had a real understanding of that. Um, but yeah, we, you know, and what goes into good offense, you know, uh, other than passing, everybody's, everybody has the ball as the point guard. They have to make good plays and good decisions. Uh, but it's spacing and cutting. I, I would say the big tenant for for me would be um, giving yourself up in ball reversal. And and many times I say, where the best shot on the court is where, and they kind of repeat to me on the other side of the court coach yes we have to reverse the ball ball reversal is so important um but that's kind of been my philosophy you know the uh, of teaching people how to play and there's certain actions that come in within within the game that we we try to run um, so when you're teaching uh let's say in preseason are you starting off with you know um you know in, in three man actions or are you right into well, we, five we'll go obviously we'll show the whole and it's right. that's what helps in having a program that has been there i will show them uh i may bring out five guys that have done this before and it looks like a chinese fire drill i'm sure to a lot of the guys uh of where to go and how to move and and i said this is what the this is what the whole looks like and then we're going to start to break it down and i break it down to how we want to catch one-on-one one-on-zero and then two-on-two we do two two-man plays all the things come out of a two-man play whether curls and back doors and then we go to three on zero and maybe three on three sometimes uh on one side of the court and then four on four and five on five and just trying to build it up uh and it and we do that every day i mean we 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 did it today um you know, the buildup of uh, sometimes I may skip to two on zero or go to three on zero uh, and then four on zero. But there's never a day that goes by that we're not dummy in uh, our actions and where we're supposed to be. And and even today, I mean, some people mess it up, not being in the right spot. And I, I, as many t- practices as we've had. And that's why it's so important, I think, for me to, to continue to do this so we, so we get this down right. Because if you can't do it without a defense, uh, you're certainly not going to be able to do it with a defense. Now, you and Steve Dunn, you worked together for years. Would you say his offensive style is different than yours? It's it's a little bit different, but a lot of the same principles, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we both we w- both want to keep the ball hot. We want to move the ball. We want to we think cutting and uh, and ball reversal is so important. Uh, and and teaching the game and teaching the right way to play and and Stevie as a player played the right way and that's how he tries his teams play uh, way he way he wanted to play. That, that's that's intriguing right there. But one of the things that I remember uh, when UB Brown, uh, my high school coach, came back from an assistant coaching spot with the Bucks, and uh, Oscar Robertson at the end of his career was with him, and he said to me. Oscar taught me uh, one of the most important things that 
you must know the hardest thing in basketball, Oscar said, is to learn when to pass and when to shoot. And it yeah. was so simple, but yeah. so profound that you see it all yeah. the time in every game you watch now. Oh, yeah. And as I said earlier, shot selection. Um, and what are, are weak shots or shots that don't have a chance going? It's not how many you, you take, it's how many you make. And, uh, and and the right people, as I said, taking the right shots. And that's that's a very hard concept sometimes for uh, for people. Uh, I, Larry Jones, who played for me um, one time, and when uh, played with me at Miami, I uh, should I played with him, but he was on the Sixers when they had Will Chamberlain, and Larry Costello, and, and guys like that, and they won the championship I think that year. Uh, but he said uh, in the huddle one time, uh, Alex Adams was drawing up a play. Um, and I guess it was the second or third time out he had, and he dropped a play for who other than Wilt. And Larry Costello said, "Hey, I can shoot too." And uh, <laughs> and, and Larry like looked at him like, "What are you kidding?" When we have the best score ever, and uh, it's obvious that's who it's going to go to. But uh, not that Larry Costello wasn't a good player. The two-handed set shot. <laughs> um, but you better understand who the right people should be taking the right shots at the right time. When uh, do you do you like to to fast break now? I mean, everyone it seems like is running, 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 and taking threes. Uh, what do yeah, you, we you, we what? push it very much in transition. Uh, you know, we try to. Um, you know, if we're good shooters, are open, we'll take that shot. But you know, then there's also a flow to the game, and we—that's the other thing you have to teach. If even if you made one or two in a row, uh, sometimes it's better to slow it down one time because you're playing defense for 25 seconds and you're playing offense for three seconds. Uh, but we do try to push it. We work every day on trying to beat people out in transition, run the floor. Um, my philosophy is it only takes one or two breakdowns uh, that could win the game. One or two possessions change, you know, could change the game. Uh, but we don't, we're not just push it up and uh, and shoot it. Uh, we're looking for good shots. We're looking to catch them in transition. Because I also think if you're pushing it and they know that, sometimes the other team's not going as hard to the uh, to the boards uh, on the offensive end. So hopefully that they know. If, they make a mistake we're we're out you know when you're and that's an interesting thing you made me just think about as a passing game team uh a movement team uh do you designate certain guys to go to the offensive glass uh that's another part of it uh it's usually on the opposite side that we designate those people we want two on and and two back um you know, uh, and it's not always going to be the same too. I mean, I know some coaches will say you two are going, and, right. but I don't. I don't designate that. Um, it's usually uh, the opposite side from where the ball goes, uh, ball shot from. Um, and uh, and our offense too, and, uh, and what we do in practice with our passing game. I have my coaches out of every possession. The changeover goes right to the coach, right to a player, so right to our spots. Um, so we just flow right into offense, uh, and one of the one of my uh, philosophies is everything in basketball is transition. It's about trans. The ball moves. You're thinking something different. Uh, you're moving somewhere different, whether it's defense or offense. So everything comes down to transitioning, um, and you got to transition. And one person not transitioning to the right spot. Uh, Breaks down the, the could break down whether the defense or the whole offense. Um, 
So uh, that's a big part of uh, of playing. Uh, I really you like know, that. People that it all comes down to see, think, do. Whoever sees, thinks, and do the fastest and transitions the fastest. Uh, it's kind of like me trying to play Jeopardy. My wife beats me all the time because uh, I'm, I'm, I see it, I think, and it's by the time I get it out, she's already said the answer. Uh, Got to transition quicker. Uh, <laughs> what about defensively? What do you, what do you try to do, uh, and what's the Patriot League like defensively? Well, a lot of kids, you know. A lot of teams take uh, probably twenty four, twenty five threes a game. Yeah, we do try. I try to mix it up. I'll I'll mix it up from time to time. Where I mean, we work uh, on our zones, but I probably play eighty five percent man to man, and mm-hmm. it's a lot of switching. Yep. Uh, that that happens uh, one through four, so you have to be able to slip and 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 curls and and be hard to guard. I mean, that's a big part of. Uh, uh, the type of teams we're playing against, um, that they all, you know, we're we're not going to have the dribble drive. There's not the the league is not so athletic that you're just going to hand it to somebody and they're going to break down right. someone. It's 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 really a um, you can see when you're watching a Patriot League game, uh, you can see the plan kind of unfolding. You can see the the X and O's working, and yeah, and we do a lot of scouting of our teams. But my philosophy is we got to we work on all this every day, whether it's in our shell, pass, cut, you know, um, screen away. We we try to cover everything, so we're not spending an inordinate amount of time on a scout that we've already practiced. Has jumped to the ball, you know, influence away that all these things are built are build ups to how we're going to play defensively. You know, uh, so one of the things, obviously, that uh, Chuck, working with Chuck Daly, uh, we became famous for is all the pick and rolls we ran. And, you know, unfortunately, it became a little bit of a curse in the game and too many pick right. and rolls. And, and uh, we apologize. Uh, but if you had Isaiah, if you had Isaiah <laughs> yeah. Thomas, you'd play pick and roll, too. But, uh, you know, but one of the things that, uh, you know, you see, so you're playing against a lot of teams that run pick and rolls, correct? Uh, you know, right, in every right. league, every, you know, whether now when you see, the, so one through four, we're going to switch, but one through, and when their five man is running, let's say a middle ball screen, yeah. which is the hardest thing to defend. Well, that, we, we run a, we run a different, you know, every day in practice, I work on different uh, coverages of, of uh-huh. the five man set the ball screen. Good. It could be circle switch. It could be. Uh, icing it. It could be blasting it. Uh, it could be what I call stove. It's string and over or stun, string and under, you know, kind of a S-T-U-N under. Uh, it could be Jamaica where we, we jam the, we jam the screen. Um, and you're right. I mean, there's so many people that run, um, ball screens where I think has made coaching lazy in some ways because, yeah, but that's a big part of the game, how you're going to play the high sure. ball screen uh, and where's the help coming from and bumping the roller and, and knowing what you're playing there, you know. Um, so it, it's uh, it's become a huge part of the game, uh, and we have to cover it. Uh, we probably do more stove than anything, but at times we'll blast it or we'll ice it, depending on if that pivot is a shooter or not, you know. Uh, so there's there's so many parts of the as you know the rotation yep. and then where's the rotation where the help's coming from and everybody being on the same page. Um, 
in uniform. Hey, hey friend, when, uh, I, you know, one of the things that, you know, we don't see that much anymore, but I, I really think it's effective, is uh, on our post defense, you know, uh, do you do you trap the post at all? Do you? We have different rotations out of that. We make trap. I may say we're going to trap off the cut. We may trap with the opposite big. We may trap with uh, the top guy as soon as it goes in. Right. Um, and then when we trap, if he dribbles, if he dribbles towards the baseline more to try to get out of the trap, we keep the trap on. If he starts to dribble out towards the sideline where we don't, we'll just we'll leave the trap and and yeah. rotate that way. So we we work every day. I call it in our out of our shell coaching the post. So I'll go into the post and I'll uh, I'll be by myself and they feed me and then they wherever the rotations are coming from i see i think uh, i think it's a really good thing because i, I just don't believe two things that uh, the, the the postman or can pass and uh, right. you know and you have them in a really restricted area and the second thing frankly i don't think coaches do a good job of coaching what the hell to do when you are trapped offensively right so i, I right. think i'm glad you're trapping because well, I think well we, we run a, a drill every day called the double team drill and i'll just put people in double team situations and and where do we where can we go where we have to go in our in our rotations offensively and defensively as you know when you get trapped you have uh you have intercept you have the trappers you sure. have interceptors and you have a basket protector you right. know so we it could be anybody in those positions, and the same thing offensively. You know, where do we when somebody gets trapped? We have to have our outlets. Uh, um, so that's something we do almost every day of, of different trap drills uh, and how we come out of that. Yeah, I think it's um, important, boy. Boy, that's 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 good stuff. What? Yeah, and, and a couple and a couple of things. You know, you ask why you trap. Sometimes you want to keep the, the pivot out of foul trouble. You know, uh, um, could be because, as you said, they they don't pass real well. Um, and I always remember my coach in Europe, Jim McGregor, as we said before, saying you want a pivot to a good pivot to score forty points, then play behind them. Um, so you have to have good post defense. That's a big part of controlling the lane, uh, controlling the lane. You control the game. If you can do I love that. that. Yeah. One of the people that I've talked to that has worked for you who will remain nameless because he really likes you, has a man crush on you. But he, he said one of the really great things about you is, uh, which I think is just fabulous, is that you would love to basically be in the office and uh, you sit and talk basketball all day. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously up till you know, practice planning and, you know, what you're going to do, but... Uh, but, you know, that, my, that's my wife sometimes says, hey, stop <laughs> thinking about basketball, you know, um... Because it, it's been, you know, you find something that you love and and you make it your life, uh, uh, your life's work. And I've I've had that opportunity, and and I'm still learning, uh, Brendan. Sure. I, I I read things on basketball. I, I watch the NBA. I love the NBA for because their execution. And I, and there's some people that don't like it, you know. Um, but like when you watch the NBA, for example. They could have 1.6 on the clock, and they get a good shot. We could have 6.1 on the shot clock and not get anything. Yep. Um, they're just so good uh, in those situations of executing, screening, using screens. Uh, it's tremendous. Uh, I, could, I should say we could have 18 seconds on the clock and not get a good shot. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I love to talk basketball. I love to watch it. And, and as I tell my guys, uh, 
when you're watching these games, don't watch it as a fan. Watch with a critical eye, because yeah. you can you can learn so much from from watching this and and watching what people do right and what people do wrong. Um, I think it's a great learning experience. Yeah, and uh, that's where I learned a lot of my basketball watching. As I said, whether it's right or wrong, uh, or watch plays. I thought I like that, and I don't I don't put plays in or put drills in because I like it has to fit what I'm trying to do. Absolutely, there's a lot of good drills out there that do not fit in what I'm trying to do. So um, it, you got to find drills that that fit your style and, and fit your philosophy. Yeah, I was watching a game last night, and I just saw something uh, that I hadn't seen before. Put the game on pause, wrote it down, and I said, "My God, how how so, easy and simple is that? Yet how effective?" Yeah, and and yeah, you know, and why did, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> well, that, that's pretty obvious. I, yeah. I'm I'm one of those people. I pride myself in the research that coaching you does, <laughs> and we steal the hell out of everyone else's stuff. But uh, no, I think that's that that is so much fun to do. Um, talk about um, you know you have I I love two of your sayings. You have to lie down with pain. You need to make pain your friend. Expound on right. that. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, and having been in this a long time, Brendan, you know, some people, there's a toughness uh, that people have, and you have to make friends with pain. Uh, to, and I also think on the other side of pain, lots of good things happen, you know. Um, but sometimes people will just go right up to pain and like, hey, that's a little bit too tough. Uh, maybe it's not a trust factor. Or I don't trust it. It's gonna, I'm going to be okay. No, you got to trust me that you got to make friends with pain. Um, and the other thing, and I think you had mentioned it earlier, uh, when I make people, whether it's run or do a thing when they're not talking enough, slide, talk, slide, and I'll, I'll tell them, uh, you can't punish a champion. You know, it's just a reminder. Um, if you're a champion, you know, uh, thanks for the reminder, Coach. Thanks uh, for, for helping me get better. But you can't punish a champion. Um, I love that. But uh, they're, they're two, of my, two of my favorites there. Well, you know, a, a guy like yourself, um, you know, you, you just have done so much in giving to the game. And uh, the game has given you a lot. I know that. Uh, and you're oh, most the grateful. game has given me more than I've given the game, I think. Yeah. Uh, and I really do. I mean, I've been I've been blessed. The people that I've met through this game, uh, the opportunities that I've had, the travel that I've that I've done, the um, the friends that I, as I said I've made. Um, uh, it's it's been uh, a joy this this life that I've had. I, I wouldn't trade it for for anything. Well, you know, I I enjoy like hell talking to lifers like yourself because it, your passion just rings through and uh and i know how much you love and care for the players that you've coached and and continue to coach and i and i think that's why you're so damn good at it you know but i, I really appreciate well, you I appreciate sharing it. i appreciate you sharing with uh all of our c coaches around the world uh who might not have ever heard of fran o'hanlon but <laughs> i know and i i've watched you for years and i just think it's an absolute honor to talk with you today Fran. maybe maybe they heard of francis francis i had a lot of uh aliases i was what were you you mean francis, one in francis sweden dribbler in sweden francis um, francis dribbler because they had i had played pro and uh mcgregor said you can't play as fran o'hanley you got to be francis francis <laughs> so after a while i had to get dribbling exhibitions and um 
at schools in the daytime. Otherwise, we wouldn't eat. They wouldn't give us lunch. So they put in parentheses, Francis, Francis, and they put parentheses, dribbler. And then they took the parentheses away when they sent out, would send out advances. So everybody thought my name was Francis, Francis, dribbler. And then I got my amateur status back, and then when I went back to play in Sweden, they said, Mr. Dribbler, why would you change your name to O'Hanlon? I said, nobody has a name Mr. Dribbler. It's, my name was always O'Hanlon. Um, but I was Francis Francis Dribbler for a lot of years in Sweden as well. Well, Rainbow Johnson, Francis Francis Dribbler, and alias Fran O'Hanlon, an honor and a pleasure. Thank you, my friend. It's been great. I appreciate it, Brendan. All right. Best of luck to you. All right. And I appreciate you having me on. Oh, our pleasure. Thanks, Fran. Fran O'Hanlon. Wow. Uh, iconic coach. Uh, the stories, the trip around the world, uh, the people he's worked for from, you know, knowing of John Cheney like he does, you know, uh, but Fran Dunphy, you know, playing for the a legendary Jack Kraft. Uh, you know, I think he, what he does is he takes you from the 60s all the way up to today. Uh, you're talking about a tremendous lifespan of basketball, a great teacher. And, you know, this guy has been coaching 26 years at Lafayette, probably coach another 20. It's, I love it. It's fabulous. And what a treat it was to talk to him today. This is the Coach Brendan, sir, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>